We buy salvation without money and without price. Some people are content with religion when they could have the author of life itself. Well, dearly beloved, we are in Matthew chapter 13 and we're looking at the parables. We've been looking at them for about a week now and I've introduced you to uh, four parables, the first four parables They were given to the multitudes of people. If you look at chapter 13, verse 2, and a great multitude, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, that's Jesus, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And so these first four parables of chapter 13 were given to the multitudes. All this comes on the heels of chapter 12, in which they rejected him as being the Messiah, and they rejected his kingdom that he was offering. And so when that happened, because up to that point, Jesus had been preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. And then when he healed this deaf and dumb man, it was like a a miracle in the eyes of the people. And they were saying, is not this the son of David? In other words, who else could do these things if it's not the Messiah? The son of David was a Jewish expression for the Messiah. And so that's when the religious leaders stepped in and attributed the Holy Spirit power that Jesus was working in. They attributed that power to Satan. That's, that's pretty low. And so when they did this, they committed the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That is what the, the sin is. And so right after this, the Lord now starts talking to all of the multitudes of the Jewish people in parables. And so... The first parable was given, verses number 3 to 9, and it's about the sower. We're not going to take time to go into depth at all. You can go back and review these. They're online. You can watch them again. But the sower talked about the man who was sowing seed, and we found that three-quarters of the, the area that received seed never amounted to anything. And I think we have every reason to believe that uh, if it illustrates salvation, the seed germinating, bringing forth fruit and so on, life, other seed that doesn't seem to get anywhere, we could say, you could say, let me put it this way, you could say that 75% of those that hear the gospel will not get saved. Some would say that, and I'm not going to say that's wrong. I don't believe that the sower would purposely sow a lot of good seed on hard ground. He'd be smarter than that. He'd be reserving the bulk of the seed for the, the harvest fields. And so we learn anyhow that a lot of people aren't going to get saved. Even though they hear the gospel, they're not going to get saved. For some, it'll go in one ear and out the other. For others, they'll respond enthusiastically, but... It's only for a short time and then they wither up and they they die. So it would seem. The second parable was given verse 24 to 30 about the tares among the wheat. And there we learned that there will be some part of the kingdom of heaven who look like they're saved, but they're not. It's like false brethren. And the idea of the tares is that they grow up and they try to destroy There are unsaved people that go to gospel preaching churches. That's true. 
But a lot of these unsafe people are not there with the intent of trying to destroy, take over, overthrow. But there are people like that. And it happens around the world in gospel believing, gospel preaching, churches of the Lord Jesus Christ. It happens. Has it happened to us? Eh, it may have. It may have. Um, the third parable was of the mustard seed, how something so tiny could become so big, which is a miracle really, but it was the results that the Lord was talking about on how all of these birds came and, and roosted. They, uh, the fowls came and built their nests and all of these little birds in there roosting, taking over as it, as it seems. And, and so again, you get uh, like a, an unsaved element in there trying to take over. And then the uh, verse 33, the parable of the leaven, which it just simply illustrates that uh, Christ will be triumphant. The kingdom of heaven will triumph and all of those who are non-believers will not be part of it. It's so very important if you're watching today or you're watching this broadcast on another day, it's so very important you examine your heart, that you be sure you're born again, you're part of God's family. Please, please, I beg you with all there is of me, don't just go along with the flow. Make sure you love the Savior. Make sure you're born again and that he is in your heart. Well, at this point in verse 36, we see the Lord Jesus dismissing the multitudes. Um, you get the right verse here. There we are. And Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him. And so now they're gone. He's got his disciples and he gives four more parables to the disciples, two of which we're going to talk about today. I invite you to close your eyes with me and ask God to be our teacher. Loving Heavenly Father, we come to you in that name of Jesus. Father, how thankful I am to be part of such a wonderful church as Grace Baptist Church. I thank you, Father, for your wonderful people. And I pray for them that you would grant to them an increase in faith and love, an increase in faithfulness, an increase in service. Help them, Lord, to see that the end is in sight and that the coming of our Savior is not that far away. Help them, Lord, to see the things that happen in this world as steps toward a coming Savior, coming in the clouds, coming for His people. I ask you, dear Father, to protect all of your people. I ask you to protect your church and cause us to grow and help us to grow, Lord, so that we can bring forth more fruit for you, so that we can do more for you. Oh, Heavenly Father, I ask you would use the preaching today and this, this, uh, uh, this message, these two parables we'll look at. I ask that you would use them in the hearts of your people and do some wonderful things. Please encourage us, we pray. And Father, I do ask for perhaps one who is attending online and their heart is heavy, please encourage them right now. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, these next four, and we're going to be looking at two today, but these next four parables have been given to the disciples in the house. They weren't given to the multitudes 
outside, but to the disciples in the house. Now, here's a key, and this is so very important. Please don't miss this. This is very, very key. And that is, how did the disciples who heard these four parables, how did they understand them? Did they know what Jesus was talking about? Did they understand them? Or did they need further clarification? And we find that Jesus does not give further clarification. If you look, please, at verse number 51, Jesus saith unto them, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. So they understood. There was a couple of parables they didn't understand. They had to ask his, uh, his interpretation of them, which he gave in this chapter. But he gives them these four, two of which we'll look at now. And they understood. They had everything they needed to know to understand right then and there what Jesus was getting at. Now, this is important. This is a key. I'll tell you why. Because starting at the book of Genesis through to the book of Revelation, you have what's called progressive revelation. We get more and more and more and more of the truth. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the just is as a shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. And so here we learn, when we start at the very beginning of the Bible, we know very little, very, very little. And as we work our way through it, more and more truth is revealed to us. Now at this point, the New Testament had not been written down. Jesus was still on earth, still ministering. The New Testament books, the 27 books of the New Testament, had not yet been penned. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have any of the epistles. They didn't have the, the, uh, the book of Acts, which is approximately 40 years of church history. They didn't have any of that. And yet at this point, before Jesus had gone to the cross, they had enough to understand what these parables are about. Now, the reason I'm saying that this is important because when we come to interpret these parables, I have read a lot of different interpretations on these parables, and some of them are really far out there, folks, like really made-up weirdo stuff. And I'm just dismissing that. But then others seem more uh, believable. However, the problem with some other interpretations is that they depend upon Truth not yet revealed. For example, the teaching about the rapture was a mystery, total mystery, revealed to Paul. And Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Behold, I show you a mystery, he said. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's the rapture. And it wasn't known until God revealed it to Paul. And Paul wrote about it in the New Testament. And also 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep. You can look up those chapters later. But that's just one example of progressive revelation. It's so very important that we get this. This is an important key. When we come to interpret these parables, we have to put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals of the apostles, the disciples there, who heard them from Jesus. And they understood. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yea, Lord. 
It wasn't just yes, by the way. There's a difference between a yes and a yay. Did you know that? That's why I love the King James Bible. That's why I prefer it over any other modern translation. The King James Bible hammers it. It hits the nail on the head. There's yes, but then there's yay. And yay is far more than just a yes. Yay has like the heart that goes with it. Yay has not just a stamp of approval, but an enthusiastic stamp of approval. It used to be many years ago, the saying went, a man's word is his bond. Well, today, a man's word doesn't mean much. He can look you in the eye and tell you yes, but in the back of his mind, he's thinking, no way. The answer is no, but I'm going to tell you yes anyhow. And that's the society we live in today, unfortunately. Well, the Lord Jesus told us believers, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. And here, the disciples answering the Lord Jesus, they said, yea, Lord. How about that? They fully understood what Jesus was getting at. And so, keep in mind that when we interpret these parables, in fact, keep it in mind anytime you're reading the scriptures. You have to pull your chair up to the table where the author sat and wrote. You have to slip your feet into the sandals of those who heard. That's how you're going to understand it. So, uh, without being revealed any other New Testament truth, these disciples understood. Now, here we go. Here, it starts in verse number 44. And we uh, have two men, is what we have. These uh, two parables here, we have two men. One, probably a farmer. It's only a guess. We're not really told. But he's probably, probably a farmer. And the other is a merchant, a businessman. So we have the two men. The farmer, uh, if indeed he was a farmer, he could have just been a prospector out there. But if he was a farmer, then he would be on rented land. And he would have been trying to make a living. Uh, The merchant was simply going door to door, business to business, looking for goodly pearls. Do you have any pearls for sale? You do? May I see them? Oh, I'll buy this one off you. No, I don't want that or that. Oh, here's one. I'll buy this one off you. And that's what he would do. He was looking for goodly pearls. Generally, the merchant would buy and sell. Buy and sell. Now, we're going to be getting into that in just a moment. But we have two men. They both end up with a fortune. And they got it two different ways. Two different ways. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said to the disciples, is like both of these two scenarios. And here's how. Now, the first man we find in verse 44. Let's take a look. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. And so here we have a treasure. The treasure was hid in a field. He found it there. Uh, Again, was he a farmer? I, I, I couldn't say for sure, but this treasure that he found, it was too big to just put in his pocket and walk away. It was more than just a goodly pearl. 
It was something big. And he found this thing quite by accident, didn't he? Didn't he? he was working away in the field. Um, see, how did that get there? How did that, that treasure get there? Well, somebody hid it there. Now, hid, H-I-D, is past tense of hide, H-I-D-E, present tense. So it's a past tense. But also, the way the Greek verb is, it's in the passive voice, which means that the subject receives the action of the verb. And so the, the treasure there, that's the subject, and it receives the action of the verb. Someone did it. It wasn't just a natural thing. It was purposely done by someone. Someone came along and maybe it was like the pirates. Remember the stories of the pirates, how they'd go to a, a desert island and they would dig a hole and they'd put in their buried treasure, right? Well, the treasure didn't normally naturally appear there. It was hid by the pirates. And that's sort of what we have here. We have buried treasure. Someone or some people came at some point and they hid an incredible treasure in the field. And we have a man who, it seems by accident, found the treasure. It doesn't seem like he was looking specifically for it. He didn't seem to have a treasure map at all. He was out. That's why I'm, I'm guessing he was a farmer. The fields were normally put to good use. They would try and bring a, a crop, bring, bring a harvest or something. And so he was out, I'm, I'm just assuming, with his, his plow, and he found it. Now, interestingly enough, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, in Jesus' day, there were three common ways of handling money, large money. Let's take a look at it. Keep your place there in Matthew 13, and we'll go to Matthew 25. The Lord Jesus, again here, told another parable of uh, the kingdom of heaven. And uh, the story here is about uh, a man who was traveling into a far country and he uh, had th his three servants and he gave some money to each one. And you'll see here in verse number 16, the first common way of dealing with money, large amount, then he that received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. So here's the first way that money could be handled was they would trade it. Now I need to point out that it says it's a talent. A talent. That was a measure, a physical measure in weight of money. And so this rich man who had the three servants going off to a far country. He called his servants together and he gave them three talents. We're not told if it's silver or gold, just that they were talents. The talent, modern scholars who study these things, guesstimate that the weight was about 66 pounds. 66 pounds. So if, if you have a child in your home who weighs 60 pounds, go and pick him up. Hmm, what have we been feeding this boy, mother? He's pretty heavy. That's how much a talent would weigh. And so here, the servant was given five of them. So if you just round it off to 60 pounds, 60 times five is what? 300 pounds, isn't it? That's a lot of weight. And 
the guy who was going through the field found a lot of money. It was too much just to pick up and put in his pocket. It was a huge fortune. But getting back to Matthew 25, one way you handle money is by trading it. Another way you handle money in verse 27 is you, you loan it out. Verse 27, Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received my own with usury. Usury is like interest. And so here's the second common way to deal with money. You loan it out. And it's used by the exchangers or the money lenders and so on. And then you get your, your commission, your, your um, uh, uh, well, the usury, the, the rental, if you will, on the money. You get your money back, plus you get interest. That was the second way. And then the third way that people would deal with money, large amounts of money, not pocket coins, but large amounts like a talent. And you'll see it here in verse number 18 of chapter 25. It says, He that received the one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So basically he just hid it in the ground for safekeeping. He put it there. He buried it so no one could see it. Something like what the pirates would do. They would bury their treasure. What uh, some wealthy people do um, is they'll take their money and they'll spread it around and they'll put some in a, in a Swiss bank account. They'll put some in, in a Caribbean uh, bank account. They'll, they'll spread it around like that. They'll try and keep their money hidden, hidden from the government so the government doesn't come after them for taxes. One thing about the government, governments around the world, is taxes are the sacred cow. And if you go stealing the tax money, you're in trouble. Boy, you are in hot water. And Canada's no different. The CRA will come after these uh, tax skippers. They'll go after them. And that's a, a lot of it is happening all over the world. And so the governments are kept busy running after people looking for money. Mah. But getting back here to Matthew chapter 13, turn there again now, we have the three common ways that people would deal with large amounts of money. Because imagine having 66 pounds of, of gold. That's something that you know, we can't fathom. I imagine that would be a couple of these big bricks of gold that they, they mine, they pour them into these big bricks. Probably two of those might be uh, that kind of weight of money. And so I believe that the first man did not own the field. That, that seems obvious at this point. He didn't own the field. The field belonged to someone else. Perhaps the owner had owned it for several generations. It was passed down from father to son. We don't know. Now this first man, we're not told, but I'm guessing he was a farmer renting the land. And as he's trying to farm the land, his plow may have hit something. And then as he stops to look, he realizes he's on a treasure. This is a hidden treasure. This is a fortune. And so, <laughs> what does he do? Well, he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't tell the owner. Now, by the way, listen, you might say, well, wait a minute, shouldn't the guy have gone back to the owner and maybe struck a deal or something? The moral ethic is not dealt with in this parable. When you think of it, it might have been the correct moral thing to do. 
is to go find the owner and say, listen, if I found a treasure in your land, would you be willing to split it with me and maybe make a deal like that? That's not dealt with because that's not the purpose of the parable. The purpose of the parable given to the disciples was to show them a man who by accident seemed to find a tremendous fortune. And so what he did was he went and he sold everything he had. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to buy the land. That's why. And he made a deal and he, he paid the guy. Maybe he paid more than market value. It would be supposing like someone who uh, is going to buy a house. And somehow they find out that buried underneath the house is $10 million in, in gold or something. And so the seller, they're asking a million dollars for the house. Boy, doesn't that sound crazy to some of us? A million dollars for a house that used to sell for 100000 Now they want a million dollars for it. Well, okay, here's your million dollars. And they shake hands, sign the paper, goodbye. And then that night, he's got his pick and his axe and his shovel and everything, and he's, he's digging up the ground. Ha, 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 the million dollars. Now, we're not going to get into the ethics and morals of that because that's not the purpose of the parable. The purpose of the parable is simply to say that here's a man who by accident found a tremendous fortune. And he went and he sold everything he had so that he'd have enough money to buy this land. And maybe the owner of the land said, all right, I'll sell it to you. It wasn't doing me much good. Maybe you'll prosper with it. Maybe you can do something with it. All right. You know, there's been a lot of stories in the news over the years of people who've gone to garage sales. They've bought old rugs, old paintings, old jewelry, only to find out later that it's worth a fortune. And they paid 10 bucks, 20 bucks for it. And it's worth a million dollars. There are real stories like that, of that happening to people. And they bought it. The guy sold it for 20 bucks. The new owner now owns it and can sell it for whatever he wants. He gets a million for it. That sort of thing is happening. Well, anyhow, we're not going to talk more about that. But the emphasis on the parable here is an accidental finding of the treasure. Does that make sense to you? Because that's what we've got in front of us. We've got a man who somehow was in another man's field and he found a tremendous fortune. And so he went and sold everything. Imagine that, the guy's wife, that when he comes home, they say, honey, pack up, we're selling the house. What? We're selling everything. We're selling your pots and your pans. We're selling that old horse out back. We're selling everything. Husband, have you gone crazy? Trust me, woman, you'll thank me for it after. Anyhow, I'm just making it up. But they sold everything and they went and they bought the land. So he sold it all. And the kingdom of heaven is something like that, says Jesus here. Now the kingdom of heaven is only what it is because of the presence of Jesus Christ. Understand that. You take Jesus Christ out of the kingdom of heaven and you've just got an empty field. But the presence of Jesus Christ, now, that makes it worthwhile. And so that's the application the disciples would have understood. In the parable, the man, he just, man, a treasure. I'm going to be wealthy, rich, rich, rich. Ho, ho. 
And so he sells everything he buys it. And lo and behold, he's a wealthy, wealthy man. And so that is the idea, the purpose, the teaching here of the parable. So just as the man who discovered the wealth in the field by accident, some of us have by accident discovered Jesus Christ. And we've, we've discovered a, a wealth that we never knew before. We've been carrying a load of sin and guilt and fear. And we discover the Lord Jesus who can forgive our sins and remove our guilt. Who has the power uh, to break the, the, the bondage of sin and bad habits and evil habits. We have Jesus here who is able to, to present us before God the Father as washed in His blood and clean and pure. Oh, the power, oh, the peace that comes through Jesus Christ. And then there's the answers to prayer that we can get through Jesus. And then, of course, there's the Bible He gives us to guide our every step in life. And then there's all our needs to be supplied in Jesus. And then there's a home in heaven after we die because of Jesus. This becomes the treasure that we find by accident, somehow. You say, how is that possible? Well, I'll tell you in a second. This first man, he found his wealth by accident. And there are many of us who have found Jesus Christ by accident. We weren't purposely out looking for him. We weren't actually seeking. We weren't taking the scriptures and saying, Jesus, where are you? I must find you. I will find you. They weren't doing that. But like the farmer, I'm saying he's a farmer, in our story, our plow has accidentally uncovered gold. Now I'll give you an example. In the book of Genesis, chapter 28, Jacob, he was fleeing from his brother, uh, his, his brother uh, uh, Jacob and Esau. <laughs> I had to think for a minute. And he lays down, puts his head on a rock as a pillow, and that night he has this vision, this ladder, and these angels. You remember that in Genesis chapter 28? Anyhow, he wakes up and he says, Wow, he says, I didn't know it, but God is in this place. And he called it Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. That's what he called it. And by accident, he came upon the house of God. Well, that's what I'm saying. In Acts chapter 16, a man who worked for the government. He was a jailer. He went to work that, that day. He wasn't purposely looking to find Jesus. But after he punched in the time clock and he, he got on his warden's uniform, there were delivered to him a couple of men who were taken and they'd been beaten and he was charged to put them in the innermost prison. And if they escaped, it would be his life. And so he did his job to the best of his ability. And at midnight... There was an earthquake and he awoke from his sleep and he thought, surely the prisoners have escaped and he took a sword to, to kill himself. But Paul called out, do thyself no harm. We're all here. The, the jailer called for a light. He sprang in and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And you have a man here who found Jesus kind of by accident. His plow hit something. He wasn't specifically looking for it. I'll give you another example is in... Uh, Acts chapter 9, 
when the Apostle Paul himself was on the road to Damascus, he was not looking for Jesus. And yet, at high noon, Christ met him, smacked him off his horse, as it were. He was blinded by a light that outshone the noonday sun, and he found Jesus Christ. It seems quite by accident. His plow hit something, and he found a treasure. And the idea then of the parable is when you find the treasure, you got to buy it. You go and sell everything you've got and you go and you buy this. And this is the idea. This is what the Lord Jesus was teaching to the disciples. I remember leading a man to Christ many, many years, decades ago. And the guy, he was, he just wandered into church one day. I'd never seen him before. He wasn't coming to our church. That's the funny thing. He was actually thinking he was going to go to another church, but he saw our sign, and just at the last second, he turned the wheel of his car, he came in. Right at church time, he sat down, he he looked pretty scared and nervous. He listened to all the preaching. Afterward, he came and asked me if he could talk to me. And I said, sure, and we went in another room, we sat down, I could realize he wasn't saved. And I asked him, Do you want Jesus Christ as your Savior? And he said, yes. And I led him to Christ. I've kept in touch with him all these years. And he still loves the Lord and is living his life for Jesus Christ. There's a man who kind of found the treasure by accident. Perhaps there's someone watching today. Maybe you're watching this church broadcast. And maybe you didn't tune in specifically to find Jesus Christ. But maybe Jesus is knocking on your heart's door right now. Maybe you can almost hear his still small voice saying, let me come in to forgive you your sin, to be your Lord, to be your Savior. My friend, if I were you, I'd sell everything you got and I would buy this field so you might have this treasure named Jesus. You know, the Lord also told a story of a woman that had ten coins and one went missing. Maybe it rolled off the table and fell in the dust. And she, she took a broom and she spent a long time searching for that lost coin. And she found it. He told another story of a man that had a hundred sheep and one of them went missing. And he left the ninety and nine behind and he went searching till he had found. And he put the, the sheep, the lamb, on his shoulders and and brought it home with rejoicing. And maybe that's something like you. Maybe you've tuned in, you're watching, and you weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus is looking for you. Will you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Oh, I pray you do. This first man, he found his wealth by accident. But now I want you to see the second man. He found his wealth by seeking it. Look at verse number 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Here we have a second man here. This man found his treasure, his wealth, his fortune. He found it on purpose. That's like Cornelius in the book of Acts chapter 10. He was purposely trying to find God and he was praying and he was giving alms. He was doing everything he knew to try and find God and he found Jesus Christ. 
That's also like the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 who was reaching out to God and praying and crying out to Him and he took this expensive trip all the way to Jerusalem to try and worship God. And as he was returning back to Ethiopia in the chariot, he was reading the Bible in a book of Isaiah. And that's when the evangelist told Philip to go and join yourself to that, that, uh, uh, that chariot. And Philip the evangelist obeyed the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit told him to go. And evangelist Philip went and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, said the Ethiopian eunuch, except some man were to show me. And he invited him up into the chariot. And starting right there in Isaiah, Philip preached Jesus to this Ethiopian. And this Ethiopian man got saved. But you see, he was purposely seeking for the Lord. The first man in the first parable found his fortune by accident. The second man here in the second parable found his fortune on purpose. He was purposely seeking goodly pearls. But one day, he found a pearl so incredible, like nothing he'd ever seen before. And the price of it was far more than the money he had. And so what he did was he went and sold everything in order to buy it. And he bought the pearl of great price. There's only one way that you're going to get your treasure. According to these two parables, there's only one way, and that's by buying it. You have to buy it. You say, Pastor, are you talking about a salvation by works? No, my friend. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about buying without money. Buying without money. You might say, how can that be? Let me read for you Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 1. Listen. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money. And without price. It's a perfect picture of salvation. You buy without money. You see, here's the point in these two parables in Matthew 13. Both of these men went and they abandoned trust in everything they had. The first man had a little home perhaps. He had uh, uh, a few sticks of furniture. He had a horse and a cart maybe. He had a few things. He abandoned them all. He cashed it all in. The second man was a merchant man. He had a, a supply of pearls he had purchased over the years. But when he found the pearl of great price, he abandoned his trust in all his other little pearls. He went and sold it all. And when you find Jesus Christ, the way you get him is you abandon trust in everything. Maybe you think you're a good person. You abandon your trust in that. Maybe you think you've been trying to keep the Ten Commandments in order to please God. You abandon your trust in that. Maybe you've been trusting in something else, the golden rule, or who knows what you've been trusting in. You abandon trust in everything else and you put your trust in Jesus. That's how you buy it. It's by faith. That's the only way anyone can get Jesus is by putting their faith in Jesus, not in the Pope, not in the pastor, not in the priest, 
Not in the writings of this man or that man. Not in any good works. Not in your baptism. Not in communion. You abandon all these things and you put your trust in Jesus. That's the teaching of these two parables given to the twelve apostles at that time. Jesus once said to the rich young ruler, Sell all that thou hast and come and follow me. But sadly, the rich young ruler trusted in his earthly wealth and his earthly possessions. He trusted in his riches and he turned and walked away sadly. Boy, I'm sad too because that man would have walked right into hell. We buy salvation without money and without price. Some people are content with religion when they could have the author of life itself. The Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 3 spoke to the church at Laodicea, which was filled with unsaved people. There were just enough saved people in there for it to qualify as a church, but it was a worldly place, much like churches today. And the Lord Jesus said, I counsel thee to buy from me gold tried in the fire. They thought they were wealthy and rich. They were poor. They were naked and blind. And Jesus said, buy from me. How do you do that? You do that by abandoning your trust in everything else and putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Oh my, surely it's reasonable to abandon the cheap in order to gain the priceless. Surely it is. Some of you are familiar with the name Paul Harvey. Paul Harvey, I think, was a Christian man. And Paul Harvey told some amazing stories on his radio program many years ago. He's long since died. I love to listen to the stories of Paul Harvey. It was, it was a radio program entitled The Rest of the Story. And he told a story once about a young couple from the Midwest in the United States who decided to get married and spend their honeymoon in California. And they enjoyed the weather and walking along the boardwalk with the small little shops. In one of the shops, they found a, a, a window glass case and a sign that said, Genuine Imitation. And next to this sign was a display of beautiful necklaces. And the wife looked all through them she had so much fun looking at them and she found one she really loved. But it was a bit pricey. But her new husband thought, nothing's too expensive for my beautiful wife. And so he splurged and he bought her this necklace as a token remembrance of their honeymoon. How sentimental. How loving. It was an amber-colored necklace of carved beads that he paid so much money for. The necklace was a favorite of hers and she wore it on many occasions, always thinking of their honeymoon. But after about 20 years, the necklace finally broke. And so she took it to her local jeweler and asked if he could restring it. And he said that should be no problem. And he took out his loop. Some people pronounce it a lope, but a loop. And it's a small little magnifier that the jewelers use to look at things close up. And as the jeweler was examining it, he asked her if she would like to sell 
the necklace because he would give her a thousand dollars for it. And she was rather indignant. She said, no, my husband bought that for me on our, our honeymoon. I'd, I'd never part with it. I just want you to restring it. Why do you ask me that? Well, the jeweler never answered her question, but he went ahead and restrung the pearls and she paid him and she took it home. And she told her husband this strange story about what the jeweler said. And the husband told her, that is strange. He said that he was planning a business trip to New York City and he'd like to take along that necklace and take it into one of the more famous jewelry stores and get their appraisal as to why it is the first jeweler would offer so much. And sure enough, the man took the necklace of amber-colored carved beads in his pocket and he took them into a famous jeweler in New York City. And the jeweler looked at them and the jeweler looked up at the man and said, if you'd like to sell them, I'll give you $3,000 for them. And the man was taken back and he said, I don't understand. He said, why, why are you offering me 3000 Why did that other jeweler offer my wife 1000 And the, man, the jeweler said to the man, have you never examined these beads under a microscope? And the man said, no. And so the jeweler brought out a microscope and put the beads under and the man looked through the lenses of the microscope and there on each bead was carved in tiny, tiny letters the words to Josephine from Napoleon. Now, we can't say with any certainty how true that is, but it sure is a great story, isn't it? Why would you settle for something cheap when you can have the greatest of the great? That's the idea behind these two parables here. Listen, my friend, if you're watching and you've never been born again, and folks, to be honest with you, I do believe we have a couple of people that attend our church and they're not yet born again. And if you are one of those couple of people, would you receive Jesus Christ today? Would you abandon your trust in all of your good works? Would you abandon trust in everything? And would you come to Jesus today and put your trust in Jesus Christ? Would you do that? And I'd like also to speak to each and every one of you who are saved and you've forgotten how much riches you have in Jesus Christ. You've forgotten the tremendous power of God that's available for you, my friend, found only in Jesus Christ. Would you go back in your mind to the simple faith that led you to Jesus the pearl of great price. The great treasure hid in a field. Would you get back close to Jesus again? Pray with me, would you? Our wonderful Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves once again and bow before you, your majesty and your might. We thank you that in Christ is more, more than what any man or woman could possibly want. And when it comes to prayer, he promised us in John 15, 7 and 8, If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bring forth much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Our Heavenly Father.
I pray you'd bless your people with increased faith. Faith to live. Faith to give. Faith to be what you want them to be. And I pray for anyone today who's not born again, who has not yet received Jesus as their pearl of great price. Help them to abandon trust in everything else and to put their faith in Jesus who can save their soul. Oh, do this, Heavenly Father, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.